Hey, welcome back to the All In Podcast. This week, we have Manio Mitchell. He is an American sprinter who competes in the 200 meter, 400 meter, and 4 by 400 meter relay, as well as he is now competing in the sport of bobsled. He was a member of the USA team that won the gold medal in the men's 4 by 400 meter relay in the 2012 Indoor World Championships, and he was part of the team that won silver at the 2012 Olympics. Now, he has an incredible story where in the prelims, he broke his leg halfway through his 400-meter sprint, and he was a starting sprinter for Team USA. And he completed his sprint, and they actually set a world record time in the prelims as a team. In this episode, Manio and I touch on recovering from injury, mindset, and mental training. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. I am joined on the All In Podcast this week by Manny O'Mitchell, an Olympian and motivational speaker. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Now, you were just in Park City. You were training for bobsled, correct? Yeah, that's right. I was in, well, Lake Placid, and then I stopped in Park City, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how's that all going with this transition? I've seen a lot of athletes who are trying to kind of make this, the switch over and be dual sport athletes. Yeah, um, for me personally, it hasn't been that big of a, of a transition. Um, I come from kind of like a three sport background with basketball, football under my belt. Um, so being able to apply those things with track and field as well um, into the sport of bobsled has, I think, made the transition a little bit easier for me per se. Um, there are a lot of things that are housed within the sport that I was not aware of um, in regards to like how much strength it takes, how much you know power explosiveness it takes. But those things are already housed within my sport and track and field. So I think um, that's why it's been a little bit easier of a transition for me as composed uh, compared to other people. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going well right now. Um, I haven't had a lot of negative feedback from <laughs> from any of the things I've been doing in training. So uh, right now I'm still still just learning the sport. Um, and because it's definitely a lot more than just running and jumping into a sled and pushing it to start it off. There's, there's a lot of science involved, which I love that part. Uh, aerodynamics, all that good stuff. Um, it's pretty cool. But the best part is I get to wear like different accessories. I like that. So <laughs> wearing the, wearing the goggles and being out in the cold, I like being in the cold. So, um, getting to wear a helmet. I haven't worn a helmet since like 2005. So that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Those helmets are really badass. Those are really cool looking. Oh yeah, for sure. That's so awesome. I've been seeing tons of people like, uh, especially in the CrossFit world, the on the female side that are coming into USA bobsled. And I actually so when I was training uh, on the national snowboard team, I would be out in Whistler. And that's where they train the the Canadian team. I think I one time I met the Jamaican team that was out there. And that was really cool, too. And um, they were always trying to recruit me oh, nice. <laughs> because I was in the gym. And now I'm feeling like everyone is switching over. I'm like, maybe it's not too late. But as a snowboard athlete, even hitting all these jumps and stuff, I was terrified of like going down the run they're like come on we'll get you in like a luge or a skeleton and like you'll just go and I'm like no like that's terrifying how was it for you like your first time sliding at that speed yeah you can have luge you can have that I'm not doing that ever <laughs> um yeah I, I like being a little bit more control of things so 
Um, I, I trust I trust my driver, my pilot, and, and the, th- the two guys sitting in front of me a lot more than I trust myself on that luge. So you can have that. <laughs> yeah. So so you're not in the driver or pilot role. I feel like those have like an added stress. Yeah. Um, it's it's not something that I have an interest in right now. I have a very very high respect for those guys and girls that that do that because I know it takes a whole lot more than just driving out the back and and, and jumping into the sled. Um, I just, me training for two sports at the same time, I just don't have the time or capacity to even go to that driving level. Um, right. So yeah, that's kind of why I canceled that one out. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you, is there, I see a commonality of like a lot of sprinters, football, like anything with a lot of lower body power going to bobsled. Is that the same background for the, the drivers and the pilots or have they just been doing, you know, this the sport for longer? Um, I think from, from what, cause like I said, I'm still, I'm still two months in on this, um, <laughs> month and a half, honestly. But, um, I think what I've gathered so far is for the most part, the drivers have been in the sport the longest. Um, they go through a phase where they learn the sled and learn the ins and outs of that. Cause there's so much more involved off the ice track than there is on it. Mm-hmm. Um, And then, of course, driving and learning the tracks and things like that. But even as a push athlete, for me as a brakeman, I still learn the tracks. Um, I've only been on, uh, I haven't been on Plastic's track yet. I've been there. I know the track, but I haven't actually been on the ice there yet. But I know Park City, like, I could close my eyes and, like, visualize the whole thing, like, all the drops and all that. So I think that's just me being a student of the sport. I've always been like that with everything I've done. So I think the drivers take that to the next extreme level. Um, just knowing dialing in that stuff is definitely an advantage over other people. If you can go in and know the track like that. So. Right. And are you in four man, two man? I, I forget the options that there are. Yeah. So on the men's side, there's a, uh, there's two man and there's four man. I'm probably going to do both of those. Uh, okay. I would say, um, and then, of course, on the women's side, there's like monobob now. So it's like just you by yourself. You oh, wow. are the push athlete and the driver at the same time. So it's pretty <laughs> cool. I can't wait to see that, actually, um, when we start competing here soon. Um, and then there's just the two man or two woman, I guess they would, would call it. I'm not really sure how they how they term it. But yeah. those are the only options for the women. So, yeah, we need oh, wow. more options for the ladies, man. Yeah, seriously, we got to get some more athletes in there. I think it's it's really cool providing this option for athletes from from other sports because it's not really a traditional sport that you grow up doing. Like the access to a bobsled track or right. a luge or skeleton track is just it's you, you, unless you grow up right near one. Even still, I don't know if they have like children's or, or kids programs for this. Yeah, yeah, they do, oh, but wow. only like you said in those areas. Um, mm-hmm. Like when we were in Placid, there were there were kids doing uh, like skeleton and, and I think maybe even luge. I'm like, what? You're like eight years old. And I'm like, yeah, this is when they start. I'm like, what? Oh, no. Same thing with skiing. When we were in Park City, there were five and six year olds skiing. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? But same thing with me playing football and basketball. I started when I was like five or six years old. So it makes sense. And you, you just grow to be accustomed to the sport itself and just the exposure itself is enough to say, Hey, I like this or I don't like it. And then if you do, you pursue it. So I understand it. Yeah, that's really cool. I haven't seen any kids doing that, but that would be terrifying. Like I, I learned how to ski when I was, I think two years old, but it was a little bit different. Like I, my dad is, has like the leash on me and he's following me down, but going down a track, I assume maybe by yourself, if you're doing illusion skeleton at like that young age. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't yeah, think I had that fearlessness. <laughs> 
Yeah, they don't start them at the very top. They may start them at like like six or or curve like another lower point. But still, I'm like, man, if I was that age, I would not be doing that. But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy. So I want to go back to like the start of your journey. And I know you played basketball and then football and then track. Could could you walk us through that whole process and how you found to to become uh, an Olympian in track and field, going from the background that you did? Yeah. So. I always tell people when, like, I'm telling my story, they're always like, they always ask about your upbringing and stuff like that. And that's very influential in my life and beneficial for where I am today. Um, When I was growing up, I lived in a neighborhood that was literally like all family. Like Mm -hmm. every house was like a cousin or a great uncle or something like that. So we were around the same age or within five or six years of each other. Um, So we, we played video games and stuff like that, but we were mostly outside. It was always like nitty gritty, like tackle football and pick up basketball full court at my house. Um, Just hide and seek like neighborhood wise. So that's where the endurance was built up. Um, So just being able to have that atmosphere growing up, I think, is what even sparked my interest in having sports. And then, of course, you want to be the fastest in your neighborhood. You want to be the fastest cousin. You want to be the fastest with your last name. Um, so that mental toughness was built then. So that, you know, kind of withstood all the time. It was, it was always in like, just built in me that I need to be the best that I can be because if I go home and Chris is better than me or Sherrod is better than me or Chastin is better than me, I'm going to get laughed at. So, um, (laughs) that was always something that kind of like sparked that interest. So I took that into playing basketball first. Um, and, and football at the same time in elementary school and then middle school, still played football, still played basketball. And then when I got to high school, that's when I just played football, um, and loved football. That was my first love, uh, had ambitions and dreams of going to the NFL, had an injury, always getting hurt, had an injury. And, uh, my senior year is when I made the transition to start running track, like competitively. And then, uh, the rest is kind of history. That's awesome. And I, I think I, I heard you you speak about this um, before where you said that running was like a punishment for other sports. Oh, and for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally relate with that. I think, you know, when I heard you say that, I was listening to another podcast that, that you were on. I was like, wow, that like clicked in me because I, I hate running and it's a big part. Like I compete at a high level in CrossFit now and it's a big part of it. And that's one of my biggest weaknesses. But I think I always look at it as like that was the punishment for all these other sports that you do when you're growing up. And then as a snowboarder, you don't have to run like no one's going to make you run. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, how, how did you overcome that mindset to look at it more as a sport rather than, you know, your maybe initial thought of like running, this is, this is punishment. My coach made it fun. My high school coach, um, which ironically was, he was my, I was a wide receiver in football. He was the wide receiver coach. Um, but he was also the head track and field coach. And Little did I know until I did my research, he was in the Olympic trials and was pretty, a pretty good athlete in his own right. And it makes sense now looking back at it with the workouts we used to do um, and the way he used to like (laughs) just train us. Uh, But that's why we were successful. And um, he made it fun, though. Like who would have thought that going out and running 12 times 100 or six times 200 with minimal rest at a fast pace would be fun. He made it fun. So um, it made it enjoyable. And then when I got into college and the coach that I still have to this day, um, 
he just he sold me a story that, you know, I could be one of the best. And as long as I applied myself and, and really went after and believed in everything he said and did everything the right way. And I was hard headed at times, but I did everything the right way and it worked out. It panned out for me. So that's kind of how I was able to to go from high school to college and college to pro and be able to, you know, sustain a pretty, pretty nice career so far. That's awesome. And it's cool to hear that a lot of that belief was instilled in you by this coach. What would you say to maybe an athlete who's coming up who maybe doesn't have that same support system or that coach and they need that drive inside them to instill that belief? Um, well, I always say, you know, a lot of, especially now with social media age and, and all that stuff, it's a lot of seeing this and seeing that and wanting this, but not really realizing what you're seeing and how they're putting in the work to get what they have. Um, so I always say if a lot of athletes and kids are always like, man, I want, I want this and I want that, but I need this to believe in me and that to believe in me, but they forget to believe in themselves first. So I would say it starts there. Um, kind of like write out everything. I say, I say, see it, believe it, achieve it. Um, so like write everything out, see the vision that you want and, and make the plan to get to that vision. Um, and, and to be successful. And, and there's so many different ways that, that we can get to, say, if I want to go to Charlotte, North Carolina from Asheville, there are many different ways I can get there. And there are going to be stops along the way. There are going to be traffic jams, all that stuff. And that's, that's the same equivalent to life. Like that's the same way with sport. There are going to be times where you're not going to be the best. There are going to be times where you're, you're injured or you don't have that mindset that is going to propel you to be successful. But if you continue to go down that right path, eventually you're going to get to the finish line. So that's kind of how I put it. Mm, that's why I think it's, it's just so important for young athletes growing up to listen to conversations and stories from people like you and to see the struggles and not just like the hype stuff or the highs. They actually see the real journey because I think people are motivated more by or they learn more from the struggle and the adversity versus just seeing, OK, this person's the best. Like, how do I even fill in the blank of getting there? But right. seeing someone with a background, maybe similar to them and the same struggles that they're going through and has overcome and done it is what actually inspires them to to get there and and that being said I would love to move into the story about your injury in in 2012 because I know that's a big part of your story something you speak about a lot and something that I think a lot of people really would resonate with and be inspired by the fact that you overcame in the middle of running a race breaking your leg and still running in an incredibly fast 400 meters could you walk walk us through that process <clears throat> yeah um I was tasked with being the first runner in the men's four by 400 meter relay for the U S team, um, which in itself is just enough. Like that's a lot of pressure. Um, going into this race, the U S team had never lost this event period. Wow. It, the only time was when they boycotted the Olympics in 1980 in Moscow. So even then that's not a loss. That's just a, we didn't show up. So, um, <laughs> knowing that going in and knowing the rich in-depth history that, you know, the team and the guys before me had laid, I had to continue that legacy. So, um, I went into the race, uh, the gun goes off, I'm running as fast as I can. And that's when I know something is not right. My, my leg is not doing me any service at all. Um, but I knew that I had to continue running. Um, we get to 200 meters and that's when my fibula bone at the time, I didn't know it was my fibula bone, but, uh, that's when my leg just snaps and I'm like, okay, 
I have two decisions. I can either just lay it all out right here, just lay down, hope that somebody comes to me real quick because this hurts, or I can just try to get to the finish line as fast as I can. And no matter how fast or slow I get there, I know that those three guys behind me will do their job and we'll be able to win this thing. Um, so I chose the second option. Um, obviously, <laughs> if you follow history, um, and it worked out for me. Now, this is a disclaimer. I'm not telling anyone else to go out and do that. <laughs> um, but I just know the way that I'm the way that I'm built up and the way that, you know, I'm structured. It's just I have to I have to be a go getter. I had to be the one that, you know, stayed on the positive side of history. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it, it worked out for me. Um, and I think that's a testament to, like I said, my upbringing, uh, my coaches who, you know, uh, instilled in me a great quality of, of just giving your best effort, uh, no matter if you win or lose, as long as you give your best effort, you've done more than enough. Um, so I felt like me laying myself out there for the team was the ultimate sacrifice. Um, it could have ended my career. It actually did end my career for a little bit, but I knew that the end result was those guys getting the opportunity to go back the next day and do what they could to, to secure a medal for us. So yeah, that's why, um, I chose to do that. That's awesome. That's it's so inspiring. And I think like, you know, having that mindset going into it, some people, when that adrenaline hits, they, they might just, you know, like you said, fall on the ground and, and lay there and hope someone's going to come and get them, put them on the stretcher and, and take them away. Or you resort back to the things that you've been taught in your upbringing and just the person that you are, which is like, no, I'm going to finish. I have this, this much left. How, how long was left in the race when, when that did happen? Um, 200 meters. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it's insane. Like, it's not like you broke it with 20 meters left in the hundred meter. It's 200 meters is still a while, like 20, 20 some seconds. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That it's, it's incredible. And what was your physical recovery like in the rest of your Olympic experience after that? Um, it was like, it was rough. Um, so that we, they wheeled me into a, like, so a lot of people don't realize that at the Olympic Games, you got to follow like protocol. This is on TV and all that stuff. So it's not like, oh, that happened. He went straight to the hospital. He had the surgery or got fixed and then boom. No, I sat there. Or actually, I stood there and waited for those three guys to finish their leg of the race. Then oh. we walked through media and I knew what was going on. We walked through media, um, which was upstairs in, in the stadium, then walked back down all that, went through the media tunnel under the stadium. And then that's when the uh, Ken Brahman was the, uh, and I, I owe him my life. Ken Brahman was right there. And he was like, Manio, you don't look too good. I was like, Ken, my leg is broken. It broke at 200 <laughs> meters. I need medical attention. The adrenaline is wearing off. I feel everything now. Uh... Then maybe 30 minutes after me finishing that run is when I got to the infirmary at the, at, in the Olympic Village and then found out that everything I said was actually true. So. Yeah, I owe Ken Brahman. If if you see this, Ken, I love you, man. He, uh, I owe him my life because he was the one that. Hey, we need him out of here. We need to get him because they didn't. But no one believed me. They didn't. I was like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm hurt. Like, but at the same time, it was bittersweet because I didn't want to take away from Bryshawn Nellum and Tony McQuay and Josh Mance, the three guys that were after me. I didn't want to take away from their moment because literally we ran the fastest time in Olympic history in the prelim in that race with my broken leg split, which would have been crazy if I would have been on like normal race pace. Um, 
so just being able to not take away from that moment and, and to let them breathe in that moment. And I'm sure they were internally mad at me because I ran slow. Um, so I didn't want to take away from that. So I, I kind of just pinned it on, on the U.S. team and not just me. Um, and then, you know, we just went and, and took care of things the way we needed to. But I was out for 17 weeks. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, I was out for 17 weeks. Um, obviously, I didn't run in the final the next day. They brought in a replacement for me. And then we ended up getting silver, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so but yeah, it's it's still one of the greatest moments I've ever experienced, whether it be in sport or not. Um, just to be able to be at the Olympic Games is just a dream come true. Um, but to be able to to do something inspirational and, you know, that inspires like just generation after generation and a story that never really gets old, everybody can kind of, you know, acclimate to. And, you know, it's it's just been a, a really cool experience off the track as well, being able to travel the world and, and people know your story and, and want to talk to you about it and uh, let them know that it inspires them. It's pretty cool to be able to be in that position. Right. Yeah, that's that's so cool because I think people in life, they go through these big moments of adversity, these huge setbacks and um, your story, they can resonate with it because it's something that it's the parallels between sport and life are just so close. And sport is obviously this extreme. So it's really easy for us to see those examples and say, wow, he broke his leg. He continued, you know, what what's going on in my life that broke and I can continue. Right, for sure. So this next question is bought, brought to you by All In's presenting sponsor, uh, Restoic, their mental training app for athletes. Um, and they have a new app that's actually just coming out this month. And so you shared, I've, I've seen you share that this broken leg haunted you mentally after training. You felt like, you know, maybe it could happen again. How did you recover mentally to get over that? Because I think a lot of athletes deal with that, the mental repercussion of injury and worry that it could happen again. Sports psych. Sport psych. Um, I always tell athletes, and even before this, um, obviously I got more involved in it after this happened, but <clears throat> you can have all the physical training that you want. Um, and if you're not trained in between here, it does not matter. Um, your body can be a fine-tuned engine with the right fuel and the right sleep and all of that stuff. That's great. You need that as athletes. I repeat, you need that as athletes. However, if you are not mentally stable and ready here, none of that stuff matters. So um, I know coming back from it, you know, the training was very, very difficult because I would get to the same spot where I broke my leg in like training and I would literally stop. Like just my body would just shut off. Uh, um, or I would go through reps and I couldn't make it through no matter how slow they were. I, I just couldn't make it through because internally, mentally, my body was like, this is where you need to stop. This mm. is where you stop before. This is where you stop every time. So I had to talk to a sports site. Um, I talked two times a week for almost three months. Yeah. Um, and mental imagery and, and just overcoming obstacles, adversity, stuff like that. I was able to, to overcome it. And it took like two or three years to do that. Um, wow. there were highs where I was like, okay, I'm good now. And then there'd be, I go and almost PR in a race. And then the next day or two days later at track at practice, same thing again, boom, stop. Um, so it was just like a, a tug of war, like back and forth, just trying to figure out how can I overcome this? So that's what I started doing. And, um, I still do that to this day. I may not talk to a psych all the time, but I still do the mental imagery and I still meditate and all those different things like visualization, all that stuff that you know, gives me an advantage over my competition for sure. 
Mm, I love that. Cause I think there's, there's two benefits of sports psychology for athletes. It's, it's the mental health side, as well as the mental performance side. Like it gives you a leg up as well as helps you with going through any of the things that, that you're dealing with. I know we, we were lucky to have a sports psychologist we got to work with as well. And it was weird to see that a lot of my teammates just didn't take advantage of the opportunities to, to use that sports psychologist. Meanwhile, I'm like before, after competitions, zooming, um, the sports psychologist as much as I could, because it's so important. And I think you also touched on a, another great point is that the progress isn't necessarily linear and healing isn't necessarily linear. And a right. lot of people might be dealing with that. I've had a lot of athletes who, um, I've, I personally talked to who are dealing with injuries and wondering, I, I feel better. And then all of a sudden I'm worse. And, you know, here you are, uh, an incredible, incredible world-class athlete and, and your progress wasn't linear as well. So I hope that inspires people, um, in their recovery process. Yeah, for sure. You have to, um, uh, again, with, with social media and everything being in, in the limelight, you, you look at others, pe- other people's success and you judge off of that. You have to, you like, it's, everything's individualized, no matter if it's a team sport or, or whatever you're doing, it, it's solely based on you. And the way I recover may not be the way that you recover or someone else recovers. So you can't judge your, your timeline off of someone else. You just have to do everything that you can to solidify your success. That's what I try to tell people as well. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that you touched on meditation because I'm a big like meditation fan. What, what does your meditation practice look like? Um, it varies. It's never the same for me. Um, I'm, I'm a person that's like off a of field and I'll be honest, music is probably my, my top meditation. Um, I'm really big on music. I make music and I, I just love music. So one day I can be listening to like classical music to get me right. Or the next day I can be listening to like trap R and B or, or <laughs> rap or, you know, techno or something with a intricate beat that gets me going. So it, it, it varies from day to day of, of how I'm feeling. Like today I'm feeling pretty, pretty solid. So today I'll, I'll probably need something that's more chill because I don't want to get too amped up for the mm. workout and overdo stuff. So um, I do that. And, and I kind of just visualize earlier this morning when I first wake up, I visualize how I want to see my day going um, and how I want it to end. And, you know, I, I do that. I make a couple calls, uh, eat my breakfast, and then I go on about my day and I try to, I try to stay on point with what I visualize. So that's kind of how I, I see my day out and, and meditate. That's awesome. And I know music's a big part of your life because the, was it that the college that you chose to go to, was it because the music program? Is that, yeah, yeah. I mean that correct? Yeah. Initially that's why I went there. Um, but you know, shortly upon getting there, I realized <laughs> that <laughs> music and track and field indoor and outdoor seasons is a lot of extracurricular activity. So I had to pick and choose when I was like, I can always go back to music. I won't always be able to run track. So mm. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Something I think about a lot, like I can always keep pushing forward my business, but I can't always be an athlete. Like there's going to be a time where maybe I can't still go out snowboarding or push this hard in these sports. So yeah, that's a, that's a great perspective. What did you play a certain instrument or what, what part of music were you um, a part of? Um, Well, I played drums, keyboard, organ, never really messed with the strings. (laughs) I didn't have time. Um, And then voice. So yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Is that like mm-hmm. a goal someday? Maybe once your track and field career is done is to to put out some music? Um, I produce right now. I kind of do okay. it like on the side, but I've got a, a few projects out. I, I like working with other people collabing and stuff like that. But um, 
I've produced a few records with M.E., um, who's my fraternity brother, Bob McNeil. Um, he's got a few tracks out. Um, you can check that out, 2020 album. Um, <clears throat> let's see. I've, I've worked with so many different people and then like background singing. I, I used to want to be a professional background vocalist. I don't know what it is about that, but background <laughs> vocalists make artists who they are. Yeah. Um, and, and I love that. So just being able to just harmonize with people. And um, there's this cool app called Voisey where you can take other people's songs and add your stuff to it. So I love doing that. Ah. Um, so I do that in my spare time a lot. So probably more than I should, but yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. Do you watch The Voice? I don't really watch The Voice. Okay, there's a um, lot of people background are like, Man, singers. You go on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People yeah. are like, yeah, you, you should go on there, blah, blah. I'm like, now nah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I think, yeah, it would be a crazy experience. I see that a lot of background singers who were, you know, for really top artists, they go on there and they're incredible. Like almost their voices. It's like, where, why were you just a background singer for this person? Like you can be your own star. And so, like you said, I think these background singers have so much talent. Yeah. I feel like, and it's, it's not a knock to those shows, but like take for instance, Tori Kelly. We, we know who Tori Kelly is. She went on American American Idol, and she didn't even make it through the first round. Mm. How? Yeah. She's exactly the same then as she is now, just better. Um, and more experienced, blah, 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 whatever. But the fact, like, I just feel like some of that stuff is scripted. So I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going on there. Mm, yeah, I think a lot of it is just a play on on drama. Like, I don't watch right. a lot of reality TV, but you see that a lot of it is all it's all based on like, okay, what's the craziest story or thing that we can bring out and and show here? They don't want you know, like just boring. It's not boring to see this talent, but in their mind, it's it's these shows are all based off off drama. Right. So going back to to your Olympic story, um, I you you missed the the, the twenty sixteen um, Olympics. How has that been? Because I think a lot of people, like when you look back, it's been well, it's going to be about nine years now. Because now that the twenty twenty Olympics have been moved to twenty twenty one, that's a that's a long time. And and for people to dedicate and just commit to the process for that long is is it's incredibly inspiring to see that you're you're committed and, and dedicating yourself every day how has that been what are the highs and lows and how do you um stay dedicated for that long yeah um yeah 2016 was just not my year mentally i was still dealing with some things and then i went into the trials not prepared mentally physically i was more than prepared but mentally i just wasn't there um so lost that year um, 17, 18, came back, won the U.S. championship. Um, 19, was feeling good. And then there was no championship year, or actually there was an outdoor championship year, but I didn't even go out for I didn't even compete in the, the U.S. championships. And then this past year, I was really set to do something really, really crazy. And then, of course, COVID makes its entrance. So it's yeah. just a testament to just life in general. Like, I've been dealing with adversity all my life. So... Um, you know, just being, seeing the highs and lows in between those years and I'm like, I'm done. And then I'm like, okay, let me come back and let me try this. And then I see, I see signs of good, positive, you know, influences and things like that in my training and my coach is like, Hey, just keep going, keep going. But really the, the main influence was my son. My son, um, was born right after London. So he never got to see that, but now he's at the age where all his little friends and 
teachers and anybody he comes in touch with, like, hey, you know what your dad does, blah, blah, blah. Like, your dad is so cool, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, I know, I know, I know. So he understands <laughs> it. But he reached out to me uh, just one random day. We were just doing something. I think we were playing or something. And he was like, Daddy, are you still going to retire? Because he plays soccer and basketball. So I love being soccer dad, basketball dad. I love that. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. I just want to, I want to chase him around. I just want to chase him around and just be his biggest fan and support him full time. And he was like, but no, I don't want you to retire. I want you to go to Tokyo. So I started training again in November of last year for Tokyo. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll make it happen. If that's what you want, then that's what you're going to get. So that's why I started really, I was done. That's, that's the only reason I, I did that. And then, of course, the bobsled thing presented itself. So I was like, hmm, two birds, one stone. Let's try it. Six yeah. months apart. I mean, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, they're so close now. It's crazy. It would have been like a year and a half apart, but now you right. have oof, six months. Is there a big difference in, in the training? Like, do you have to put on more weight for the bobsled? What are the differences? Yeah, so I, um, I gained 20 pounds for bobsled. Wow. Um, in a span of about a month and a half, maybe a month, something like that. It's very easy for me to put on weight, though. So I say that like it's like it's nothing because really it is it's not it's not hard for me to put on weight. Um, and then at the, in the same respect, it's not hard for me to lose weight either because I'm I have a nutritionist that I use and um, like everybody in my team, in my circle, we are on the same plan. So we kind of make it work. Um, but yeah, I'll drop the weight again for, um, cause I wasn't going to compete in bobsled this year. I was just going to try it out, but then it worked out. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll compete. Um, so that'll go through, I think early March and then I'll make the transition right back to track and field. But the training is very similar. Um, it's more short speed, explosive type stuff for bobsled. But then of course I'm a 400 runner. So the endurance part is what I'm going to have to add later on. So hopefully it works out. I think it'll work out. Um, we've got a plan for it to work out and we'll see if we can execute that plan uh, as sure as we think we can. Wow. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it, it's hard to switch between those things. I think people see it's running, but there's so many different disciplines in running and they're all entirely different how you train for them. What does right. an, a day in your training look like? Let's say for, for track and field, just an average day. <clears throat> um, track and field right now would still be early preseason because Typically, I would have a race coming up next month, like early, like second week of January, which ironically is almost a year from when I have my last race in track and field because of COVID, right. um, which indoors. Um, so right now, what we'd be doing on a Tuesday, today would be special endurance. So it would be a little over distance type stuff, but not like slow. It'd be faster. Um and then Wednesday will be a recovery day. Thursday is like short speed day. Friday's heels. Saturday is like a jog recovery. Sunday's off. And then Monday back to tempo. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned rest days and recovery days because I think some people are like, okay, if I want to be an Olympian, I got to like train 10 hours a day all the time, no rest. Oh, no, no. And um, yeah, so you heard it here, like take your rest days and your recovery oh, days. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the things that you do to um, like prevent these injuries from coming up again? Is there, are there things that you do specifically or add to your training to kind of like bulletproof yourself in a way? Yeah. Um, prehab. So you know, a lot of people go to rehab when they're rehabilitating an injury or, or something like that, but I go to prehab to prevent 
having injuries. So um, I have a PT, um, have a chiropractor, have massage therapists. Like I do all that stuff, especially now that my body is older. So they say whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> you have to take even more extreme caution to taking care of your body because you can, you're more susceptible to, to injuries. So um, yeah, just doing the little things like stretching 15 minutes here or there, getting up in the morning. Um, I'm starting to get into like yoga and stuff like that. Right. Um, so being more flexible, creating more fluid in, in the joints and stuff like that to, to be more agile and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, just the little things, you know, add up to, to make that main thing work. So, um, and then sleeping, you got to get good sleep. You don't have to get like 15, 20 hours of sleep, but if you get quality <laughs> sleep, yeah, if you get good quality sleep, um, that's very, very beneficial. Um, and then just trying to live a stress-free life. Obviously, you know, things go on and there, there are things that are just out of your control that you, you can't really, you can't, you have no control over. So, um, but just trying to eliminate as many of those things as possible and just living stress-free is definitely beneficial as well for athletes, not just athletes, but just people in general, um, especially with the way life is right now and society and all the different things that, that are going on. It seems like there's nothing positive going on in the world, but if you try to just, you know, stay away from all that stuff and just be authentically you, I think that helps you with the athlete standpoint. Yeah. I think people don't realize the mental toll of mental stress or just the toll of mental stress in both your recovery and your performance. It's a huge factor when it comes to being an athlete, the athletes that you see that have this incredible team around them, helping them with everything. So they don't have to think about anything, but training and keeping their lives stress-free, like you see that pay off. What are the ways that you're, you're trying to keep over this pandemic year, keep your life kind of free of stress or low on stress so that you can focus on your training? For me, it's all about just doing that. It's going to get better. Um, I think we can all get caught up in the fact that COVID is increasing and there's new strands coming out and all these <laughs> different things. But if you just keep your eyes on the prize and just know that eventually it's going to get better, that's kind of how I live my life. So I know that things are going on, but it's not that I'm not aware of those things. Uh, it's just that I block myself from those things and just stay focused on the primary task and and that way I know I'm doing what I need to do to solidify my success so yeah awesome so what are what are your 2021 goals I know I saw you post on Instagram yesterday kind of about it um 2021 is just continue being a better person uh continue being the best version of myself uh continue to give back uh I have a whole bunch of goals um <laughs> obviously have successful runs in this bobsled thing um, and hopefully make the transition to make that Tokyo team. Um, those are, those are my lofty goals, um, for 2021. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited to watch and, and see how you do, especially with these, these dual sports. It's going to be an interesting year, I think for, for the, you know, the handful of athletes that are trying to do both things. Right. So I'd like to end with a few quick questions. The first one is what is something that you do every single day? That's the biggest game changer brush my teeth. All right. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I do do that though. Um, <laughs> biggest game changer. Um, it's, it's probably the visualization for me. Um, just, you know, setting those small attainable goals each day. Um, that gives you the mindset that, you know, 
everything that I do here is going to lead me to here. And then everything I do here is going to lead me to this. And ultimately I'll get here. So I think, I think me personally doing that every single day is kind of like why I'm able to be successful in a lot of different things. So I think that's the the game changer for me besides praying every morning. And I think that's the, the game changer for me every day. Mm, I, I love both those things because I think you, brushing your teeth was it was part joke but part true because they oh, do say true. <laughs> <laughs> they do say though like like brushing your teeth and like I, I think there was a study that actually came out that said people with worse symptoms of COVID-19 um, kind of displayed perhaps having like gum disease or different you know tooth decay and things so like the nope. teeth and the mouth are like super key <laughs> zero cavities period ever Oh, I'm, I'm jealous. Nope. I, no I, had, I had a couple of cavities as a kid. No braces. People always think I had braces. Nope. I just take care of these teeth. Awesome. I like to hear it. <laughs> um, okay. So, so another one is if you're say a hundred years old and, and you're looking back on your life and you, you want to describe your legacy in one word, just one single word, what would that word be? Say that one more time. So you're looking back on your life, um, like late in life, 100, 120, who knows what, what our lifespans will be. And you're trying to describe what you want your whole life legacy to be or like what it was. And in just one word. Ooh, that's tough. I want to say goat, but that's just, that's very <laughs> arrogant. It would come off wrong. Um, real. I like it. Real. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to keep it real in every situation. Um, yeah, I, I'd say real or let's see, what's another word? Well, you said one. Real. That'd be <laughs> my word. Real. I like it. That's awesome. And is there like a, a motivational quote or mantra? I know that you you do have one um, that you share often on social media that you could leave us with. Oh, for sure. It, it had to be faith, focus, finish. That's, <laughs> that's my joint. Um, and I'll break it down real quick. Faith, obviously, I'm Christian or whatever, but even, like I said earlier, the faith in yourself, the belief in yourself, it starts there. So in, in having that faith, you're able to do the second word, which is focus on the primary task at hand. And in having that faith and being able to focus, you'll finish anything you start. Mm, I like that's, that a that's, lot. That's my joint. Awesome. I love it. And do you, you have a foundation, right? Faith, focus, finish, foundation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Faith Focus Finish Foundation. Um, not gonna say it word for word, but it's like <laughs> it's it's really um kind of like penetrating the areas of need uh for young men and women. I, I've opened it to women as it started with young boys, because obviously that was my example. Yeah. Um but uh open to young men and women just trying to better their lives, give them access, uh, really big on access. Um, and, and opening doors with, with the keys of life for them. So, uh, being able to, to do college visits, I don't know how that's going to look now. Yeah. Uh, maybe online. Uh, yeah. Providing, providing access to kids that need a little bit more than what they're provided with. So, yeah. Awesome. I love it. I think it's, it's so important for athletes to give back and anyone, if they can, um, you know, to give back and inspire, whether it's through stories like this or through foundations and physical or uh, virtual work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. So where can people find out more about the foundation and yourself if they want to follow your journey? Yeah. So as always, I'm on social media and more so 
Instagram than any of the others, but it's all at Manny O'Mitchell, M-A-N-T-E-O-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, pretty simple. <laughs> um, as far as the foundation, we're working on a website right now. I'm trying to revamp that with everything that's going on um, yeah. with bobsled and, and track and field, so I have to tie that in. So uh, that, it will not be done January 1st. I know <laughs> that for a fact, <laughs> but I'm hoping by February that will be done. So uh, more than likely will be just manyomitchell.com or something like that, but we'll, you'll, you'll know, it'll be on my social media. Awesome. Well, thanks Manio. I really appreciate your time and, and for coming on and sharing your story. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.